0: Welcome to The Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Morning, and welcome back to The Flatline. I am your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, please stay with me. You know the drill. It's always 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, some education, And we do it without any manipulation. That means no hidden agendas, no requests for money, not trying to get you to join up, fess up, give up, nothing like that. We're just here to give you accurate information. As I've said before, not human speculation, accurate information. Accurate information that gives you the ability to verify and identify God's plan. And if you're able to do that and would like to orient and adjust to the plan, you always have the freedom and privacy to do that. God gave you volition. That's a wonderful asset. Volition is the decider. It's the chooser inside of you. When our Lord Jesus Christ walked on the seashore at Galilee and saw Peter and Andrew, his brother, he could have said, no, I'm not going to follow you when Jesus issued the command, follow me and I will make you fishers of men." But they did. They did obey. They used their volition. There was something unique about that man, something interesting, something compelling, so demanding that they walked away from their job, from their security, from their responsibilities to follow this man whom they had never met. But it was obvious that man knew them. And that man, of course, was God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, his anointed Son. And so, as we talk about the Christian life, as we understand the Christian life, we understand that God has a plan in place. God has a program in place. And if we learn it and we use it, then we're able to glorify him to the maximum. If we don't learn the program, if we don't learn the plan, and we make the rules up as we go along. we Use the football analogy or the sports analogy of a team. And a team has a rule book or a playbook, and the team has to learn the plays. And if you don't learn the plays, it doesn't make any difference how talented you are, how strong you are, how fast you are. You're not going to play because you would be detrimental to the team if you don't understand the plays. Well, using that analogy, God does have plays, and we must learn them. If we learn them, then we can execute God's plan to the maximum and glorify him to the maximum. That's why the Bible says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have been studying grace, the advantages of grace, and the mandate to grow in grace. That mandate is a mandate. It's, it's not a request. It's the commander's intent. It is God's desire and stated purpose that we grow in grace, that we come to understand grace, utilize grace, teach grace, and the Christian life being a supernatural life that it is, and you've heard me say this. It is a supernatural life, and it demands the supernatural assets. It demands God the Holy Spirit and it demands the Bible or the Word of God, or the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's a supernatural asset. In that supernatural asset of the Bible are the words of God written through human authors. The Greek word is theonoustos, it means God breathed, it is God breathed. This is not something that they made up, this is something God instructed them to write using their own intellect, their own abilities. They wrote the Word of God, and the Word of God is very, very clear that the Christian life focuses and functions around grace. Grace is an amazing gift from God. It is our one asset that never, ever would we ever lose this asset. It is our primary asset. And it starts out with saving grace. Saving grace simply means we are saved by grace. I gave you those, that information two, uh, two shows ago. But again, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. That simply means that there is no way you or I or anyone else could justify ourselves before God there's no way that we could earn eternal credit before God there's no way that we could ever satisfy the justice of God see the righteousness of God let me explain what I mean the righteousness of God is absolutely perfect essence he's plus R. he's absolutely righteous now here's the dilemma without grace if you don't have grace then we have you and me trying to satisfy the righteousness of god who's perfect in essence however the bible says there are none of us that are righteous no not one so we're minus are we don't have any righteousness so some people assume they can manufacture equal righteousness with god to be accepted into heaven but you see that's a misnomer because the justice of God is, in fact, the guardian of the righteousness of God. And what the ju- righteousness of God rejects, in other words, you say, okay, um, remember that verse that says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did I not do this and did I not do that? And Jesus said, I'll tell him, I never knew you. See that's the justice of God rejecting human righteousness. You can go to Sunday school every day for the rest of your life, every Sunday, never miss. You can tithe 10% and never miss. You can never say a dirty word. You can be married to one person for your whole life. You can never cheat on your taxes and still die and go to hell. Because there's no way that you, since you are infected with a sin nature, and you got that from Adam, there's no way that you can equal God's righteousness. The only way, the only way that you can equal God's righteousness is through Jesus Christ. And that's why the Bible says, he that knew no sin was made sin for us so we could be made the righteousness of God through him. That's how we get equal righteousness. And if I do have equal righteousness, it comes from Christ. I got his righteousness when I believed in him and received him as my savior. He took my sin on the cross and was punished in my place. So when the justice of God looks at me, the first thing it's going to see is do I have plus R? Do I have equal righteousness? Or am I trying to earn eternal credit by being good? And that doesn't work. So if I'm trying to earn eternal credit by being good, that's not grace. Listen, when the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, it's a gift of God, it means that. It doesn't mean, for by grace are you saved if you quit eating peanuts and give up M&Ms and promise to be a vegan the rest of your life. That's not it. You see, any time you add, let's call this works, Let's say you're going to say, okay, in order to go to heaven, I must accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and, now let's add something here, I must accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and never get drunk, and never curse, and never do, you know, whatever, you put it in, fill in the blank. That is not salvation. Anytime you add the and, and what, then it's not grace. Grace is a free gift. You don't earn it. You see, if there's an and, if if you have to say, for by grace are you saved through faith and giving up something or and not doing something, well, then if you went back and you did it again, would that mean you'd be lost again? And the answer is sure. And that's what a lot of people believe. A lot of people believe that they're going to heaven because they believe in Jesus Christ and they don't do certain things. But if they surprise themselves and wind up doing something that they didn't think they were capable of doing, then they think, I'm not saved anymore. You see, this is a vicious cycle Satan's got going. If you buy into the satanic lie that it's faith plus works, you're never going to have eternal life. You will never see salvation because you will always have that and, your faith and that you did something and you were baptized and you joined up and you tithed and you whatever. It has nothing to do with your salvation. When the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, our sins were paid for past present and future and when you come to jesus christ and receive him as your savior you're born again you have a new life if any man's in christ he's a new creature the bible says old things are passed away all things become new being born again is something that happens at a moment of time at a specific moment of time faith and works it doesn't happen in a moment of time it happens over a lifetime so see that's not salvation salvation is something that happens in a moment of time you believe in jesus christ and you receive him as your savior at a moment in time when you are quote born again born again is in a lifetime of doing something it's an instant that you believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as your Savior. That's saving grace. We've identified it. We've talked about it. Then we went into living grace. And we spent our last whole radio show talking about the logistics that God provides for you. How his logistical grace provides our life support system. Everything we need to function in this world, is given to us. This explains why we are alive every moment of the day. The only reason that we have oxygen to breathe is God's logistical grace. The only reason that we have gravity to maintain our uprightness is God's logistical grace. He keeps us alive. He keeps us going. We don't earn it, and we don't deserve it. There's no way we can do it ourselves. God supplies grace we are alive because of God's grace and if you're going to be a mature believer if you're going to glorify God to the maximum you have to learn how to utilize that grace every bit of that grace and so why because God gave it to you it's there for you and two things that he's graced you out with is a Bible. He gave you a canon of scripture, it's written down, and a spiritual gift of a man called a pastor-teacher. The pastor-teacher is called the servant-leader in Luke 12. He's the leader of the household, and he's supposed to keep the servants in line until the master returns at the hour that no one knows. That servant-leader is your pastor, it's his job to feed you. It's his job to look out after you while the master of the house is gone. Read Luke twelve twenty-two through 31 and see it. Here is the passage. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to put on your body. This is logistical grace. This is God giving you what you need. And then Jesus went on to tell those disciples that life is is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. He used the illustration of the raven. He said they, they neither sow nor do they reap, and they don't have any storehouses or barns, but God feeds them, and you are much more valuable than a bird. And we used the illustration that my very own pastor used about a, a vulture eating a dead animal. That's grace provision, that's logistical provision for that bird. Because he couldn't go out and kill the animal on his own, and he doesn't have a barn to put him in and save him and eat him a week later. So every day that there's roadkill, that's logistical grace provision for the bird. I thought that was so neat the way my pastor made that. So our Lord went on to say in verse 29 of Luke 12, don't seek what you should eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't have an anxious mind. For these are the things that the world looks after, and your Father knows you need these things. And then here was the priority message in 1231 of Luke. You seek the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. So this is the passage where the Lord is teaching the disciples the principle of logistical grace. And then from there he goes on to use the parable of the master and the slaves in the house. So don't worry. That's the mandate, the imperative mandate of the Greek word "merimnao." It means don't be anxious, don't be troubled about the cares of your life or material needs. If people just believe that, if people just believe that, see that's why we teach you the ten problem-solving devices. We have been telling you forever that adversity is inevitable and stress is optional. Adversity is what circumstances do to you, and stress is what you do to yourself. So if you're having anxiety attacks, as people do, then you are worrying. You are letting your problems and the difficulties that you may or may not have caused by your own bad decisions, you're letting them override your health, and you're not relaxed. You don't have the RMA, you're not trusting in the Lord, and you're laying in bed at night in a cold sweat worrying about, what if I lose this, and what if I lose that, and what if this happens, and what if that happens, and what am I going to do, and listen, that's not the Christian life. That's not the way God intended for you to live. God intended for you to have a relaxed mental attitude. He intended for you to believe these verses. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Paul wrote that. Peter wrote this. 1 Peter 5.7, cast all your cares on the Lord. He cares for you. You know what that really means? Let the monkey, get the monkey off your back. You don't have to worry. You don't have to have anxiety. Put it on the Lord and let him handle it jesus said come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest that's letting him carry the load and that's where our lord addressed this in the parable of the rich fool in luke 12 and we talked to you about that when the lord talked told the fool this night your soul is going to be required of you because he had said well if i have all these riches, and I store up everything, I'll be happy, and I can live my life. And the Lord said, no, you can't. You're going to die tonight, and then everything you have is going to go to somebody else. Our divine promise for all the provisions is found in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, where it said God is able to make all grace. There's our word, grace. That's what we're studying, the advantages of grace. God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you will always have all you need in everything, and you will be able to produce all types of good work. That's a promise. And Paul lived under this concept every day when he said in Philippians 4, 11, and 12, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content." I know how to have a lot, I know how to have a little, it doesn't make any difference to me. Therefore, it's imperative in Philippians 4, 6 that we be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplications, let our requests be made known to God, and he can handle it. He always does handle it. And that's the way that Paul the Apostle lived his life. And we have to live that way, too. I have learned in respect of want to be content. Now, let me teach you this word content. The word content is the secret to life. There are two ways to live. There is contentment when you are content with what God has provided for you. And then there is the other side of the coin, which is no contentment which is greed. When we are content, we have capacity for blessing. When we're not content, we don't have capacity for blessing. Let me show you what I mean. Let's say that God, let's say you went out and bought a lottery ticket and you said, I hope I win the lottery. Now, why did you buy the lottery ticket? Because in your mind, You have decided that if you had that $10 million lottery that you would be happy, and you would be able to pay off your bills, and you would be uh, in a better state of mind. Well, that's not true. You see, if you're not content with what you have now, then even if God gave you the $10 million lottery, you wouldn't be content. And the reason is you don't have the capacity to handle it. That's why God won't give it to you to start with. You don't have the capacity to handle it. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you were content, it wouldn't make any difference. But since you're not content, then you think winning the lottery would make you happy. So you bought a lottery ticket. It's not a sin to buy a lottery ticket, but it is a sin to think that winning the lottery is going to make you happy when everything you have for happiness has already been provided for you. Let's go back to Philippians 4, 11 and 12, I do not speak in respect of want. I have learned whatever state I'm in to be content. That means if you have $1,000 in the bank, $100 in the bank, or a $1,000,000 in the bank, it does not make any difference. The doctrine in your soul is much more valuable than the money in your wallet. I assure you, the treasure in your soul is much more valuable than the treasure in your bank account. So Paul said, I know how to be abased. I know how to be abound. Everywhere in all things, I've been instructed to be full or to be hungry, to abound or to suffer need. And then he wraps it up by saying this, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me the strength without contentment you'll never have happiness and the little secret to that is unhappy people take their unhappiness with them wherever they go money is not contentment winning the lottery is the silly illustration that I just used but it drives the point home if you think that people or circumstances can take away the worry in your life, you're wrong. You will still worry without contentment. You will still be unhappy. But now, instead of being unhappy and worrying about not having any money, now if you won the lottery, you'd have to worry about losing all the money you got. You think rich people don't worry about losing their money? Sure they do. And Solomon said that. Solomon said the man who works hard all day and... He has a much better night's rest and enjoys his life much more than the rich man who worries about it all the time. So that's a clear principle of doctrine. Don't worry. Under logistical grace provisions, God knows what you need. He will give it to you. If you will pursue doctrine as the number one thing in your life, if you will seek first the kingdom of God, And his righteousness, he will add these things to you, because you will have the capacity for God to fill your cup up, and then your cup will runneth over. That means you will be blessing to other people that are around you. But without the capacity to have a full cup, then it won't make any difference. You're not going to be happy either way it goes. So grace is an amazing thing. Watching God provide the logistics that we need to live our life on a daily basis is an amazing thing. Now there's another stage of grace that we must focus on before we wrap her up, and that's called dying grace. We have saving grace, we have living grace, and we also have dying grace, and dying grace is defined as the death of the mature believer it's the experience of physical death under the special provision of grace and in this case the believer involved experiences both blessing and happiness at the point of death you see since dying grace is the extension of living grace then obviously it should glorify God whether you live or whether you die so if you glorify God through living grace then you will glorify God in dying grace. You see, if through the function of your spiritual life, after you get saved, you can glorify God by learning his word, then it's inevitable that when it comes time for you to cross over, you can glorify God by the way you die. See, dying grace can occur regardless of the amount of pain and that regardless of the amount of suffering that you go through, I mean, there could be maximum pain or minimum pain, but in either case, there's maximum happiness and there's stimulation in your soul. But I will say this, that dying grace is for the mature believer only. The believer who rejects God's plan, the regi- believer who lets his lamp go out as the servants do in Luke 12. He's not going to experience dying grace. Listen to Psalm 33:18. Behold the eye of the Lord is on those that are occupied with him, on those who have confidence in his grace. There's our word to deliver their souls from death and to keep them alive in depression. Wow. You need to write that one down. Psalm 33:18 and 19. Dying grace will, all, will remove all the fear of death in your life. Psalm 23, 4. And according to 1 Corinthians fifteen, fifty-five, dying grace takes the sting out of death. That dying grace is the greatest blessing that comes at the termination of your life. It's still part of living, and physical death plus the doctrine in your soul equals the greatest blessing of life, which is dying grace. There's more to say about that, and my time is running out. But thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Please come back next week. Join me, Rick Hughes, host of The Flatline. Same time, same place. And let us hear from you. Don't send money. That's not the idea. But let us know you're listening. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.